0: I'd invite you to keep standing if you would. I'd like to pray before the message today. So let's pray. God, we're about to open your word. We're about to read some of what Peter wrote to new believers who were being scattered because of persecution. And God, it's not an easy word. It's 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 one that challenges us. It's one that it's uh, it's really hard for us to honestly look at and to to not see that we've got work to do. And so God, I pray that Uh, your heart, your intent, Peter's intention would come through my words today, God, that it wouldn't be any agenda of my own, but it would be what you have for us. God, uh, I ask that you would just give me the words that you want your people to hear today, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears as we need to do that so that we can understand uh, just what you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. let's just get to it Bible tells us that we're supposed to be holy because God is holy be holy as God is holy how you doing on that that's tough I mean that's against everything that we hear from the world around us and holiness holiness is one of the theme one of the key words that Peter goes to over and over and over. When we introduced this series, I said holiness is something Peter wants to make sure that we understand. It's it's something that that Peter knows. See, Peter's a lot like us. He was a guy that sometimes his ego got away from him, and he had more confidence he to have. He should have. He truly loved Jesus, but then he'd also kind of get run away in his own thing. And and what Peter is doing as he's writing this letter is he is showing how well he knows who we are. And it doesn't always feel very good. And Peter says, be holy as God is holy. Holiness was one of the main words that he uses to describe Jesus. This guy who knew Jesus so well. Three years, morning, noon, and night, he spent all of his time with him. And if he's trying to tell us that we should be holy and here's the things that get in the way, and that's what we're going to talk about, we need to listen because Peter was there with Jesus. He knows him, and, and he's an awful lot like one of us. See, but holy is hard. Holy is hard because we live in a world that says, do what feels good, do what you want. Ah, that's good enough. Don't worry about it. God loves you anyway. Being holy is difficult. Difficult. And so Peter gets down and gets serious with it today. And as we move into chapter two, what we see is that he uses some really strong words. I think part of it is to get our attention and part of it is to say, wow, that can be me. He uses these strong words. They're specific. They're, they're descriptive. They're action words. Peter wants to make sure that we understand that he knows this. But what he wants is not to make us feel bad. What he wants is to show us the way that we can be closer to Jesus. He wants us to understand what he knows. What he's personally experienced. That time with Jesus and and what it is that Jesus is wanting from and for us. And as much as it sounds like Peter is preaching at us, he's not. I truly believe what Peter is doing is imploring us to listen imploring us to do some uh, self-reflection, to take a look at where we really stand on these things so that maybe we can make adjustments or we can make changes or maybe like Peter had, we can have one of those come-to-Jesus moments. I don't think he's preaching at us. I think he's imploring us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and asking us to listen. He's showing us a very clear way. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, Peter's the guy to listen to. He was. He was the leader of the disciples. Peter knows what it's about, and that's what this letter is. He's showing us the way to be a disciple of Jesus like it's a highlighted road map. Peter knows. Peter's one of us. So as we get into this day, today, don't think that he's preaching at you. Don't think that I'm preaching at you. I'm along with Peter. I'm imploring you along with myself to listen so that we know what it is that Jesus is looking for. So again, I I told you it's not easy. I'm going to give you fair warning one more time. This isn't easy stuff, and and I'm not going to deal with it in an easy way. There was a thought this week that maybe we just glossed over it a little bit, but that can't happen, and here's why. If you and I and our children do not have a proper Jesus-centered understanding of biblical theology and the person of Jesus through your Christian church, through moments like this, through your time reading the Bible, then do you know what's going to happen? Your understanding of Jesus is going to be shaped by a world who doesn't believe in him. And you're going to be fed and you're going to get full and you're going to fall victim to the world's understanding of who they want him to be, how they want to dumb him down and make him irrelevant. And if you don't fight against that by actually reading the Bible and hearing what it says for yourself, then your only understanding of Jesus is going to come from an unbelieving world. So you've got to choose who you're going to follow and who you're going to listen to. Are you going to choose to listen to Jesus? Are you going to choose to follow the Bible? Or are you going to choose to listen to the world? Because I don't have to say anymore and you understand how that's going to work for you. So if you've got your Bibles with you, 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you get to Revelation, you went too far. Go back a few pages. 1 Peter chapter 2. He finishes chapter 1. He says, The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is a good news that was preached to you. The good news is the good news of Jesus and life and salvation in him. So chapter 2, verse 1. So, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy hypocrisy and envy and slander. That's easy enough, right? Just put that stuff away. Don't do it anymore. That's where he begins. Put away. Strip off cleanse yourself, take off and put away. No longer choose to chase, to abide, to tolerate, to entertain. Put away in Greek means rid yourself. It means cleanse yourself from the inside of those things that defile us from the inside. It means take off that stuff. Put away. Don't anymore be a victim. Don't anymore choose to follow that stuff, those words. It's like when we take off our dirty clothes, you you, you take them off and you clean yourself and then you clean the clothes. Peter's saying, take off those words and the things that they mean and the attitude that they give you. And so what does that mean for us? Let's bring it into our world. Maybe that means toxic habits. Maybe you have things that you do that you know are killing you. You choose to do them, but you know that they're killing you. You choose to continue these habits or these things, whatever it might be, and you justify, well, I'm going to give up in a month or I'm going to change it next year. That's my resolution waiting for January. You've got a way of justifying why you do it. Put it off. If it doesn't bring you life. How about toxic people? We we so often, we find ourselves surrounded with people who are toxic. I mean, bad for you. And rather than just not spending time with them, not listening to them. We just keep going back over and over and over again. Guess what? We become toxic. Our thinking becomes toxic. And so then we've got toxic thoughts. And our toxic thoughts that come from toxic people become our own toxic words and actions. And if you find yourself saying something, you go, I don't know where that came from. Look at the people around you. That's where it came from. Maybe we need to put off some of that stuff. It sounds easy enough, but it's where we need to be careful because here's what happens. We're going to get through the message. and You're going to hear this part of second or first Peter chapter two. I'll get that right before we're done. And you're going to go, you know, so and so really should hear that message. They got to deal with that stuff. Peter isn't talking to them right now. Peter's talking to you. Because what happens is we go, yeah, that's true. I, we, I agree with that. That stuff, it needs to be fixed. That, that needs to be taken care of. This is why I'm currently doing it. I'm not going to forever. But we justify it in ourselves. And then we condemn it for others. And what Peter says is that you and I, we've got to start with us. begins with us. So let's take a closer look at him, And, and maybe you can get a, a glimpse of your starting point. Maybe you can be honest with God and, and really get a grip on where you are. The first word is malice. Malice is wicked and evil intent against another person. Malice is wicked and evil intent against another person. Malice begins in your mind with a way that you can do something to them that is intentionally harmful. That's malice. Deceit. Deceit is intentional deception and misleading of others for personal gain. Deceit begins in our hearts. To deceive is to use words to appeal to a weakness in someone else so that we might exploit it for our own benefit. That's deception. To get them to believe something when what you really want is whatever it is that's over here. Deception begins in our hearts. Hypocrisy. It's what the the, the world says about Christians all over the world all of the time, and the, the reality is they're right. We're hypocrites. Hypocrisy, simply put, is to pretend to present yourself as someone who you're not. To be a hypocrite is to pretend to be someone that you're not. It's an old Greek word for actors, to present a part without actually being the person. Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrites. Not one of it was good, not one word was good. He often talked to the Pharisees about being hypocrites. A hypocrite says what they want others to believe, they, they say what they think others want to hear, when in reality that is not what their heart intends or means at all. That's a hypocrite. To present one thing to the world, but to be something else. Matthew 23, Jesus says this about the Pharisees. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. And whitewashed tombs, they whitewashed tombs to make sure that you knew that's what it was. Because for a Jewish person to go near a dead body, was it caused them to have to go into a time of of being set away. Kind of like we've got a quarantine for 14 days. They had to quarantine themselves because they'd been near a dead body. And so they'd whitewash the tombs so nobody got close. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. But on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. On the outside, Jesus says, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So I thought about the words. And so here we we go, friends and and pastors and preachers and, and teachers and parents. Are you listening? You don't want to look whitewashed and clean and neat on the outside and be filthy and dead and full of evil on the inside that's what Jesus is is calling the Pharisees out for and yet it's exactly what Peter is talking about envy envy is to want something that someone else has so much that you're willing to take it from them in order to possess it you don't care if they have, you don't want a duplicate of theirs you want what they have we can envy money and we can envy social status or cars or appearance or, or somebody's position or their house or their clothing. We can even envy a relationship. And what happens when we envy that in someone is that we want to take it. And envy can become an all-consuming monster. There's not room for joy and peace and happiness and the fruit of the Spirit with envy. Envy just wants what it wants. Finally, there's slander, and slander is spreading inflammatory and, and dangerous lies about somebody else. So we start with those things, and we don't expect other people to do them to us. And what Peter's saying is that our transformation really is a gift from Jesus It begins in and with you and I in our hearts and our minds. And until we're transformed and we rid ourselves and take those things off and put them away and put on the likeness of Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit, it's really hard for Jesus to use us as a witness to help transform anyone else with this love. It's hard for us to be a witness to what Jesus has done for us when we're still so full of ourselves. It's interesting because the five things that Peter mentioned are all connected to what he talked about in chapter 1. All five of those things... They they defile our ability to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. As long as we're doing those things, we can't be who we're really called to be. And and now things get interesting. Peter's told us what not to do. This is what you shouldn't do. Now he's about to say, here's what you should do. Here's here's how you go forward. Here's how you should think. In verse 2, he goes back to describing us like children. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it, you may grow up into salvation. Like a newborn, crave, desire, long for, with singular purpose, the pure spiritual mouth that is the Word of God, the Gospel, the good news of Jesus. When, when, a, when an infant wakes up in the morning, it thinks of one thing, food. It doesn't even understand why. Those, those little babies, they don't understand why they're thinking of food. That's all they want. But something in them knows that that food is what's going to allow them to mature. It is with that singular focus that an infant exists for the first few months of its life. Peter's saying, be like that newborn infant and crave the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God that is going to grow you into maturity. And that's what the Greek gets at here is maturity. When we crave the Word of God, when we feed on it daily, when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you want to read is the Bible, you're on your way to maturity. When the first thing you think about is coffee, coffee, and what you've got to get done in the day, you're not on your way to spiritual maturity. But when you wake up and go, all right, God, what have you got for me today? What's in your pages? What is, it that, what is it that I can read? You know what we're going to find? We're going to find out how much God loves you. We're going to find the promises of God. We're going to find out who Jesus is. And you're going to find yourself. You're going to find out who you're created to be. And like in this passage of Peter, sometimes who we are doesn't always look the best. You're going to find God's love for you in those pages. Otherwise, when we don't do that, here's what happens. When we don't actually mature, what ends up happening is that you become an occasional Bible reader, maybe, an occasional sporadic churchgoer at best, mildly committed, where you give a little bit of your loose change and maybe a little bit of your time as long as it doesn't require too much, and you live your life largely and completely unchanged because you're not willing to, to work, to become mature. And so Peter says, like an infant, like like a newborn baby, we are to crave the word of God. And then he says this, if, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, we know the Lord is good, right? He doesn't say, if you believe the Lord is good. He says, if you've tasted the Lord is good, because we know that he is, we know that God is good. That, that's not a question for us. The question is, if, do you know it? Do you personally know? Have you personally tasted that truth? Have you been in the Word and in communication with Jesus and that you know that He's there and present with you? Have you had an experience in your life where you absolutely know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that was God's presence right there with you? Then you've tasted that the Lord is good. Let's make it simple. Maybe you've had one of those God moments, an aha moment. Maybe you had a prayer answered. Maybe you've seen God at work in your life and someone else's life, and there's no way to explain it, whether it's a miracle or what you thought maybe was a coincidence. The only way that you can explain it is that's God. God is at work right there. I'm not sure what he did, but I'm sure that's God. Peter would say, then you've tasted that the Lord is good, that he's alive and that he's at work among us. Then you've tasted, so that if belongs to you. And then he starts talking about building. He starts talking about being under construction. And, and the open-door Christian church, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, the open-door Christian church is under construction, always will be, just like the bride of Christ is always going to be under construction. But here's the thing. If you're not constantly choosing what you're building your faith on, then the world is feeding you parts that aren't going to do you any good. If you're not constantly choosing and rejecting the stones that become the foundation of your life in Christ, then you're going to build your faith on whatever happens to be in front of you. The world will have you build your house on sand. The world will have you build your house on the lies of the enemy and on deception. And if you do that, if you don't constantly choose to reject that and to build on the foundation of the stones of God's Word, what's going to happen is when the storms hit, your foundation is going to wash away and you're going to have nothing to stand on. And what the Bible says is, when we do that, we become an enemy of God. And that's not what we want to do. Verse four, as you came to him, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come to him, Jesus was a living stone. He was rejected by men. That's how he ended up on the cross, but he was chosen by God and he was precious. Remember, you're talking about building the foundation of your faith on the cornerstone that is Jesus. As we come to Jesus, we're living. Right? But, but how many of you thought about building your faith like you build a house or like you build a building? The world may reject us for believing in Jesus the way that they rejected Him, but it doesn't change who you are. Because in God's sight, you're chosen and you're no longer a sinner. You have been made righteous by Jesus and you are now viewed as a saint because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus who is alive and well in you, and that makes you precious. If you haven't ever understood who you are in God's eyes, that's who you are. But you've got to choose to build on those stones. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. This is us individually working and growing, dedicated to being used by God for his purposes, both in our family life and in our work life and in our church life, to build his kingdom in the places that he's put us to be, And through the Open Door Christian Church, you maybe haven't thought of this before, but I'm going to have you think like this. Uh, People are asking me a lot recently, what are we doing next? What's the next step? Where are we going from here? Well, we're going to have to talk about buildings. We're going to have to talk about more space. We're going to to have to talk about how to use this wonderful land and how to finish paying for it. But all of that's building talk. And so here's the thing. You've maybe never thought about this before, but Peter, here's what he says. You don't just attend the Open Door Christian Church. You are one of the living stones that God has brought here to be a part of the foundation for the future of this place. You're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. You're here because God has a plan and a purpose for you to live in and to grow in your faith in this place to be a part of what this place becomes in the future according to God's will. You are one of the living stones that God has brought here to be a part of the foundation. And for every one of us, that maybe looks a little bit differently. But for all of us, it's true. Now, we're not the entirety of God's church here on earth. Most certainly we're not. We're far from it. But we are the living stones that he is using to build this church. And this church is a part of the larger body of Christ. Verse six, for it stands in scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion, the stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. That's Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is taken from Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Uh, back in the day before Jesus showed up, the, the Pharisees and the church leaders thought it was all about them, that they were the ones that it was talking about. No, not at all. It's a prophecy looking forward to Jesus as the cornerstone of our faith who sets everything in its proper place. When we believe in him, we have we have eternal life in him with him. Suddenly the enemy of God is our enemy, and despite our own sin, the enemy of God cannot put us to shame. Because you're no longer a sinner, you're a saint in the eyes of God, verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Here's what that means. They may have rejected Jesus as the king of kings. They may have rejected him as the king of the Jews and the son of God, but you know what? It doesn't change who he is. I told you one day we're all going to stand in judgment and just because you don't believe in God on earth doesn't mean you get to avoid judgment. Sorry, Oprah. Your belief does not change who God is. Your belief changes your eternity. Got that? You can say, I don't believe in God. and There's people out there all over the place saying, I don't believe in God. It doesn't matter. God is still who God is. It doesn't change. He's a cornerstone of our faith. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The honor is for us, but it's not because of us. And it isn't to us, it's to God. See, Peter's word of warning is for everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus. Jesus is still the cornerstone. Jesus is still the cornerstone of our faith. And that doesn't change, but when you choose not to believe in Jesus, when you choose to mock Him or to make fun of Him or to say that He doesn't exist, that cornerstone becomes a stumbling block. It becomes a stone of offense. Unbelievers stumble all over the truth all of the time, and the truth is God's Word and who God is and who Jesus is. And when you reject Jesus and you reject God's Word, everything that He stands for becomes a stumbling block to you. When you choose to stand against Jesus and that choice is being made Everywhere in America today. When we do that, what happens is that, well, then people say, well, I'm offended. And you hear about this in the news. People are offended by a cross. Why? What does it mean? If you don't believe in them, it doesn't mean anything to you. People are offended by Jesus, by God's word. You hear people, I'm offended that the Ten Commandments are on the courthouse lawn. Get rid of them. Why are they offended if they don't believe in them? When people choose to swear, when, when, when someone who doesn't believe in Jesus chooses to swear, so often they take the name of the Lord in vain. One of the commandments, right? Right off the bat. Do not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. Why do we do that? Why don't they swear by the name of Sasquatch or Bigfoot or aliens? See, there's something in this that knows that God is true. There's something in us whether we choose to believe. You might live an act of rebellion, but you know what? Something in you knows God is true. That is why people are working so hard in our country to drown out the voice of God in our culture. But when we believe in him and we have eternal life, their voice doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the truth, the cornerstone. All these people that rise up in defiance and rebellion against Jesus because because what happens is that they know that Jesus is the Son of God. God stands for morals and values and righteousness. And into an amoral world, they can't have that. And so he's become a stumbling block and a rock of offense. The unbelieving world wants to deny his divine authority. And they can't stand in the light of his goodness. And so what they do is they're, they're offended. They rebel. They profane his name. But if they don't believe he exists, I don't know why they bother Verse 9, but you're a chosen race. This is talking to you. This is talking to those people that are being scattered in, in, uh, the, the, the days where they were attacking people for their faith. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is where Peter wants to make sure that as a Christian, you know exactly who you are. This is big language that he's using. You're God's own and you've been called out of darkness. We talked through the whole Sermon on the Mount that Jesus went with his disciples. He shared the Beatitudes and then he started preaching the sermon. And as he did, this crowd started gathering behind him. That was the unbelieving crowd and he was preaching to them. He had called the disciples out of that crowd and when he was done, he was going to send them back into the crowd. There's this unbelieving crowd that you and I live in as well. See, but now we know the marvelous light. We know the truth of Jesus. So the question is this. When you leave church and you go back into that unbelieving crowd, do you live like you believe what God says about you? Do you live like you believe that you are who God says you are? I I saw something in this passage that I hadn't seen before. It was was cool. It's why the Bible is called the living word, because there's always something new for us. In verse 9, there's that phrase that says, You are a holy nation. The United States of America is not a holy nation. If Jesus came back today, he would, he would not say, yep, that country is following me. He would say anything but. If you followed the news at all, you know that there are a lot of people who are working very hard to distance themselves and us as a country from God. There is quite a move afoot to do that. And yet Peter is telling these new Christians who are facing persecution that God is creating in them a holy nation. A new nation, a godly nation. And so I go back to the message from a few weeks ago. What if? What if? Peter was writing this to a specific group of people, but it's God's word, which means we get to read it and understand it. What if, I ask myself, what if American Christians would humble ourselves and pray? Not for what we want, but for God's will. Would God create among us a new nation of his design for his purposes? And I have to wonder, what if? And I think that what if and what God might do as a result of those prayers is about the only thing that's going to stop this cataclysmic mudslide that we have that we're experiencing as a country. What if God has mercy on us? What if he creates in us a holy nation? See, we've got a throne up here today. And the throne is a reminder for you. You've got a new name as a Christian. It's to remind you that you're child of a king. Not just any king. You're a child of the king of kings. You're a child of the son of God. You are, you, are, you are a child of the king who is the son of our creator. Now Budweiser has an interesting slogan. King of beers. I find that to be a lit, very low bar. The king of beers. Really? Jesus is the king of kings. Now that's a statement. For 2,000 years that statement has been an offense. There are a lot of kings that are not willing to acknowledge that Jesus is the king of kings. And yet Jesus is the king of kings, and God says that you, as a Christian, share the family name of his only son. Your heavenly father sits on his throne. Heaven, Jesus has a spot right next to him. And your savior is a king, and I don't care what the world says about you. That's who God says that you are. God says that you are a child of a king. So since Christian or Christ follower is your new adopted name because you now take on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Peter says, Beloved, and he uses this endearment term here, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation to thee. End of this section, Peter wants to make sure that he brings it home with family, with with very close, connected language, beloved. And he paints a picture of people who are living in a place that isn't their home because these folks have dispersed throughout the world around Jerusalem. They're not living in their home. They're living in places that are not their home. If you've ever felt like this world wasn't your home, like you didn't fit in, you're right, your home is in heaven as a Christian. And the thing is, we're travelers here on earth. Everybody is. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you're a traveler. You've got an eternity waiting for you beyond this place. And every single person who's ever lived is headed to an eternity either with or without God. And this is your life. You have one lifetime to come to terms with who it is that you believe that Jesus is. So where are you going to spend your eternity? Are you living your life as one who's preparing for your eternal home? Who is getting to know God as well as you can, so when you meet Him person, in person, you know exactly, exactly His history at work among people. Or maybe you're one of those people who figure you're, you're, you got your card punched, you feel pretty good about going to heaven, you're just going to take your new identity up there and fit into it when you get there. If so, be careful of that plan. Remember, remember what Jesus said? He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's what Peter would say, if I got to paraphrase him, it would be this. God's not looking for lip service from us. God is looking for lives of service from us. God's not looking for lip service. He's looking for a life of service. When you say, Lord, make sure that you're addressing Jesus, your Savior, not simply saying something that you think will impress God. Approach the throne of God as a servant. Live as a disciple. A servant of the king, not not somebody who says a bunch of holy-sounding words yet whose life is anything but holy. Remember, we are to be holy because God is holy. So I had the thought, what about in this highly divided political season that we're in? We as Christians at the Open Door Christian Church take a different tactic. What if we start living as people who are holy because God is holy? What if we live as a holy nation so that when unbelievers watch our lives, they see God in us? That would be radical. That would be first century Book of Acts Christian radical. That's the kind of church I want to pastor. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That people look at us and they say, I don't know what it is with you folks, but I want to be a part of that. Let's pray. God, thank you for Peter, for his time with Jesus. Thank you for these words that have been written that we can get a glimpse of his heart his love for Jesus, his tremendous respect for him, his understanding of who he is and how he lived and what he asks of us. And God's not easy because we don't live up to those words. We'd like to. We'd like to point to other people who live up to him less than we do. But the reality is that we've all got a long way to go. And so on that note, thank you for Jesus who did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Rather than living lives and having to be guilty, we can live lives and be grateful. When Jesus died for our sins and you raised him from the grave, that our sins could be forgiven. God, thank you that we have this life, not just to, to meet Jesus and to accept him as our Savior, but then to bring the good news of that gift to other people who need to hear it. God, help us to be holy because you're holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you know, um, whatever it is that you believe about yourself, you need to know this that as a Christian. You have been saved and redeemed by the King of Kings and you're a child of God. Yes. Amen. Now, whatever what anybody else says about you, it really doesn't matter. If it contradicts those two things, just don't listen. put it off. Don't listen. You've been saved and redeemed by the King of Kings and you're a child of God. Amen. Amen. Believe it. Live it. Share it.